Well, good morning, church. Man, what an incredible time of worship we just had declaring the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. Now, today we're going to continue in our series, Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. And as we began this series, we've covered a lot of territory. We've talked about what it really means to overcome spiritual vertigo. But we've also talked about what happens if we let vertigo continue in our lives. What path does that lead us down? We've talked about that. And then a couple weeks ago, we asked a question, maybe the most important question of the series, as we begin to look at, but what if we do? In other words, what if we do what the writer of Hebrews says, and we lay aside every weighty thing, we lay aside the sin that entangles us and trips us up, and what if we really do keep our eyes focused on Jesus? What will that produce in our lives? And we said that it really produces four things. The first thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago was this, is that it produces a courage to live by faith. A courage in a world of faithlessness to live by faith. And we talked about what a life of faith looks like. But today we want to talk about a second thing that it produces in our lives, and that's a strength to face what's in front of us. That if we keep our eyes on Jesus and we lay aside those weighty things and we lay aside that sin that entangles us and we truly keep our eyes focused on him, it will produce a strength for us to be able to face what's in front of us. Now here's something we all know to be true. In 2020, many people have faced many different things. Maybe loss of some family members or friends to COVID, maybe loss of jobs, maybe just, I've known some people that even had to move because of income and because of finances were, were tight and they lost some income and had to move because they couldn't afford to live where they were. I mean, we have faced some stuff, but when we keep our eyes on him, one of the things that produces is the strength to face what's in front of us. I think that's why many Christians will tell you their favorite verse it's Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, the reason I think it's their favorite verse is because they realize that whatever they face in life, the only way to endure it, the only way to make it through it is to lean in on and to press in on and to, and to draw their strength, not from themselves, but to draw them strength from the Lord. Because through Christ, they can do all things. Through Christ, they can face what's in front of them. And I just want you to know this morning, as we get ready to jump into the text, that ultimately, if we keep our eyes on him, he will give us the strength to face what's in front of us. So here's the question for today. So what's in front of us? What are some of the things that we will find in our lives that we will have to face, that we will need his strength to help us navigate it, his strength to overcome it, and his strength to move through it? So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. And what we're going to find in Hebrews 11 is there's really three things that we know that we're going to have to face in life that we need his strength on. And the first one's found in verse 29 through 31. And it says this, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea and onto dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, here's the first thing we find out we have to face, and it's this, impossible scenarios, impossible obstacles. And what I mean by that is that for some of us, we face these impossible obstacles in our life that we look at some things that come our way and we go, those are insurmountable. Those are things that are so big, there's no way to navigate them. There's no way through them. There's no way to overcome them. And one thing we've all faced in our life is impossible 
obstacles. In fact, in this passage, the writer of Hebrews gives us three impossible obstacles. The first one he mentions is the people cross the Red Sea. Now, I want you to kind of be reminded of the story that they're referring to. All the way back in Exodus chapter 3, the people of God who were in slavery for 400 years began to cry out to God, God, we want to be rescued. God, we need to deliver. God, we need someone to come and on our behalf and to take us out of the slavery. And the Bible says in Exodus 3 that God heard the cries of his people, and then he called Moses. And Moses went to be the deliverer for the Israelites. And he goes to Egypt, and he goes to the, the one in charge, the Pharaoh, and he says, God has sent me, and I want you to let my people go. And, and Pharaoh does what all good masters would do when he has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of slaves. He just simply says, not going to happen. I need these people. They're staying. And because of that, God brought 10 different plagues on Egypt, each plague seeming to be worse than the one before and then ultimately climax at the 10th plague, which is the worst of all. And after the 10th plague, after the death of the firstborn son, then Pharaoh was so frustrated with what was going on, he just simply had this attitude of, get the Israelites out of my face. Get them out of here. And Moses took the Israelites, and they left Egypt. He delivered them from slavery. And as they passed through the wilderness, and as they got ready to move to the place where God had them, they ran into an obstacle. What we would call an impossible obstacle. It was called the Red Sea. And see, when they got there, they probably felt as, as much a hostage then as they did back in Egypt. Because where they found themselves at the, at the Gulf of Suez, there was a place, there was a mountain range to the right and a mountain range to the left. And by the time they get there, now Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's pursuing them. So there's an enemy behind them, mountains to the side, and a Red Sea in front of them. Now, when you think of a Red Sea, I don't want you to think of it in terms of a little pond, all right? Most scholars would tell you that the Red Sea could have been as wide as 190 miles in different places. But it probably could have been at this Gulf of Suez, it could have been at least 70 to 100 miles in length that they would have to cross. It would have been at least 26 feet deep, so they weren't going to cross it. And in the face of this impossible obstacle, guess what? God shows up. And God shows out. And God uses Moses and it says he takes the wind and he begins to, to separate the waters and to where they're on both sides and to where there's dry land right in the middle. And then it says here in the passage that by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. In other words, by faith, these people trusted God and he gave them the strength to cross over. Now, I know what you're thinking, okay, Doug, it didn't take a lot of strength to get them to cross over. Well, I believe it did, because here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me, that when we are called to live a life that God has for us, we tend to gravitate to what is familiar. We tend to gravitate to what we know. We tend to gravitate to what might be viewed as comfortable. Well, do you know what was comfortable for the Israelites? Slavery. It's all they knew. And they know that the Egyptians are pursuing them. And they know that if they, if they go back to Egypt, there's probably going to be some discipline for running. But at the end of the day, that's the life they knew. That's the life that they were familiar with. That was what was comfortable. But you want me to cross the sea? Now, the miracle itself, I can't imagine how amazing it was. But you're saying you want me to cross a sea, waters that are probably as four, tall as 30 and 40 feet tall, and dry land, and the, the way I've got to cross, I mean, it's, I can't even see the other side of the Red Sea. It's going to take strength for me to do that. 
And see, these people, when they get to the Red Sea, they get there, and when they see this impossible obstacle, they are so disheartened that they even look to Moses and say, Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that we have to come out here to die? And then God does this amazing miracle. And by faith, because they put their faith in God and they trusted him, God gave them the strength to cross the Red Sea. But that's not only the, the only obstacle we see here. Look with me in verse 30 again. He gives us a second impossible obstacle. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, this is an impossible obstacle, and it's called Jericho. When you look in Joshua, you look at when they go into the land that God promised them, they begin in the middle of that land. And it was kind of the military strategy of to divide and to conquer, which is exactly what they did. But right in the middle of the land was a city called Jericho. And Jericho was a fortified city, which means it was a large city, but it had 30 and 40 foot walls surrounding it. And those walls would have been filled with guards that are watching it. I mean, when you looked at the, the city of Jericho, you would have thought, this God, I know you say it belongs to us, I know you want us to have it, but it appears to be impossible. It's an obstacle, God, that we can't overcome. And God tells Joshua, and in face of this impossible obstacle, he also gives them an impossible command. You know what it was? It wasn't, hey, grab your weapons. It wasn't, grab your swords, grab your spears, grab your shields, grab more, as many weapons as you can. Here's what God said. Here's how we're going to take it. Are you ready? We're not going to take it by force. We're going to take it, and I want you to march around the city one time for six days. Every day, one time around the city. And on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. And at the end of the seven times, here's what we're going to do. Are you ready? Are you listening? Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to throw spears. We're not going to draw our swords. We're not going to use our shields. Here's what we're going to do. After you march around it seven times, and the last time you march around, here's what we're going to do. We are going to let out a shout, a blow of a trumpet, and the shout of God's people, and the walls will come tumbling down. Now, if you thought about that story in context, and you thought about the impossible obstacle that Jericho was, and you thought about the impossible command that God had given them, there's going to be a part of you, if you have any common sense at all, that would say, that just simply doesn't make sense. This is a city that's been fortified, it's heavily guarded, and God, you're saying that all we've got to do is march around it, and the last day, the last time, all we've got to do is blow a trumpet and let out a shout, and the walls are going to come down? I don't know that that's going to work. But you don't see the people look to God and go, well, God, is there a better option? God, are you sure that's what you want us to do? But the passage, it says that by faith, the walls came down. In other words, by faith, these people trusted God. And listen to me, God gave them the strength to march. When it made no sense, God gave them the strength to take the next right step and to march around that city. Impossible obstacle. But God gave them the strength to do it. And then the third impossible obstacle that he mentions is the story of Rahab. Look with me in verse 31. It says this, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now if you want to read the story of Rahab, which I encourage you to do, go back to Joshua chapter 2. The story of Rahab is that Rahab belonged to Jericho. And that Rahab, that, that, she, that when the people came, the spies came, she put them, let them come in her house, she protected them, and she had a dialogue with them. But the thing I want you to know about this, the, the kind of the big obstacle is the fact that Rahab lived. 
Everybody in Jericho was going to die. All of them were going were to be fall to ruin. All of them were going to pass away because that city belonged to God's people. Rahab was the most unlikely candidate to be used by God. Why? First of all, she was a resident of Jericho. She was the enemy. Second of all, the Bible says she was a prostitute. She was a nobody. I mean, she was someone who was so low on the totem pole, nobody gave her a voice. But most importantly, she was unlikely because she was a Gentile. In other words, she wasn't a God-fearer. She was a pagan worshiper. But Rahab let these spies come into her house. And if you read the story in Joshua 2, Rahab has a conversation with these spies. And here's what Rahab says. She says, you know what? My people in Jericho, we've heard what God did at the Red Sea. And they're nervous. They're nervous because the magnitude of your God. And then she says this, this land I know belongs to you. And then she makes a great declaration of faith. Look with me in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what Rahab says. And as soon as we heard it, this is Rahab talking, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, listen, he is God and the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is a moment where a pagan prostitute who was the enemy tells them that she declared her faith in this God. Somewhere along the line, God had been working in the life and the heart of Rahab before the spies ever showed up. And her life was spared, not because she lied about having the spies in her house. Her life was spared because of her faith. See, I want you to notice this. By faith, she trusted God, and he gave her the strength to be used by him and to do his work. See, when you look at these stories that are mentioned, these are impossible obstacles. But by faith and by trusting God, God gave his people the strength to cross the, the Red Sea. He gave them the strength to march around the city and to take the next right step. He gave her the strength. He gave her the strength to do his work. And so here's what I want us to know. By faith, these people trusted God and he gave them the strength to overcome. Did you hear that? He gave them the strength to overcome. Now here's why this is important for us. This is good news. Because all of us are going to find moments in our life that maybe we look at and go, I'm the least likely candidate for God to use me. But you're not. She was, but God used her. He can use you. Or all of us are going to go through moments where we face a Jericho or a Red Sea. Moments that we feel like there's insurmountable obstacles in front of us. Maybe that's financial debt. Maybe that's a broken relationship. Maybe that spiritually we know we're to forgive, but we just can't forgive them because they hurt us so deeply. We feel like we are faced with insurmountable obstacles. Impossible obstacles. But we need to be reminded what we learn in the story is this. Is that we put our faith in God and truly trust him, listen, he will give us the strength we need to face what's in front of us. I hope you believe that. See, the victory we see in these stories isn't that God removed the obstacle. It's that God gave the strength to his people to face the obstacles. So when we live this life, one of the things we're going to face is impossible obstacles. The second thing we're going to face is uncertain journeys. Now, here's what I mean by that. We are going to face unexpected detours in life. 
Many of you, maybe you look at your life and you look back on your life and you feel like, man, you've just been going through life and things have been going good and you've been plodding along and all of a sudden something happens. All of a sudden you've been promoted at work and things are going well and the next thing you know you've been laid off. Or you've been going through life like Tug and things are going well and all of a sudden anxiety comes into your life and it overtakes your life. Or maybe you're going through life, you and your spouse, and you're wanting to have a family, and you're pregnant, and you're excited about that, and next thing you know, you have a miscarriage. Or you're going through life, and things are going well, and the next thing you know, you go to a doctor for a routine appointment just to find out, eventually, that you have cancer. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably eight or nine. I was sitting in our kitchen, and we would take our big television. Some of you remember those big TVs. They, they weighed like 200 pounds, and they were huge. They were, they were like four feet long by about three feet tall, and they were massive. And we would turn that TV in the kitchen so we could watch it as we ate, which I know you probably shouldn't do, but we did. We loved it. And I remember that one night when I was about that age, my, my aunt, who just lived up the, the road from us, came to our house, and she came in, and she walked in. She called my mom and dad by name. She said, Betty and Jim, I just, I just need to talk to you for a moment. And so they all go into the back bedroom, and we're watching TV, and you know everything's going on, and I hear the front door open, and I hear my mom talking, and I guess my aunt and my mom went outside, and, and then I see my dad come around the corner. My dad was a, he was a, he was a larger-than-life man. He was, he was one of those guys who loved people, but in that age of my life, he didn't really show a lot of emotion, but I remember him coming around the corner, and tears just streaming down his face. My aunt, who had beat breast cancer once, now it had come back. I mean, she was living high on the fact that she was in remission and everything was great. And the next thing you know, life interrupted and cancer again. And my point is this, that we all at some points in our life are going to face those uncertain journeys, those journeys that come our way, those moments of unexpected moments that could just come. But when you think about those different kind of journeys, some of the journeys we go through, we experience great gain. And some of those journeys we go through, we experience great pain. Look with me in verse 32 through 35. I want you to notice something about this. It said, and what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, or of David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put on foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. In other words, there's some people that go through journeys and it is one gain after the next gain. Some people's journey, they live life, and then they are blessed and blessed and blessed. And these stories of all these people we mentioned, they experienced political victories. They experienced personal victories. Now, it wasn't because these people were better than everybody else. That was just the journey. And I want you to know, as you think about your journey of life, sometimes you're going to go through seasons of great gain, just like these guys. But then I also want you to notice another season we're going to go through. It's found in verse 35 through 38. He says this, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. And they were killed by the sword. Then they went about the skin of the sheep and the goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. In other words, there are those who experience great gain. You have seasons of that. But there's also seasons where we experience great pain. Did you pick up on some of the things he said? There were seasons of torture. Seasons of when they were mocked. Flogged. He even says there were seasons where some were even sawn in two. 
They were killed for their faith. There's going to be seasons in our lives where we're going to experience great gain, man. But then there's going to be seasons where we experience great pain. But when you look at these stories, if you were to take the names that were mentioned and the stories that he mentions here, and you would go back in the Old Testament and find them, here's what you would find out. That by faith, those people trusted God. And listen, God gave them the strength to move forward. So for those who experienced great gain, he gave them the strength to move forward to bring glory and honor to his name. For those who experienced great pain, he gave them the strength to move forward, to lean in, to press in, and to trust him all the more without compromise. And I want you to know this is true for us as well, that we're going to have moments of great gain. And when that happens, give honor and glory to the Lord, right? Celebrate those victories. Thank the Lord for those. But when we go through seasons of great pain, when we find those moments, moments when we trust the Lord, lean into him. See, I believe this with all my heart, that by faith, if we will trust God, whether we experience moments of great gain or great pain, if we trust him, he will give us the strength to move forward. Now, I know somebody watching today, you need to hear that. You've got something going on in your life and you had something happen to you. Maybe it's not cancer. Maybe you didn't lose your job. Maybe it was a miscarriage. I don't know what it was, but you've got this thing that's weighing you down. And you look at it and go, there's no way to move forward, Lord. There's no way to take the next step. There's no, I'm not even sure how to make it through the day. And maybe the reason you feel that, and I'm not being hard on you. I want to give you encouragement. Maybe the reason you feel that way is because you're not really trusting the Lord. You're not really laying that faith out on him. See, by faith, if we really trust him, he will give us the strength to move forward, to move through it, to navigate around it if necessary, and to overcome it. But it's his strength that gives us the opportunity to move on and to move forward. There's one more thing I think we face in life. It's not only the impossible obstacles, the uncertain journey, but also, thirdly, we face hopelessness. Look at me in verse 39 and 40. 39 and 40 says this, and, and all of these, now all of these are referring to everybody he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, not just the ones I mentioned. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should, be, should not be made perfect. In other words, this, these people that are mentioned all throughout Hebrews 11, they lived in a world of hopelessness. Now listen to me. They lived in a world of hopelessness. They lived in a world that was broken. They lived in a world that was anti-God. They lived in a world of idolatry. They lived in a world where people, you can go back to the Old Testament and it says stuff like this, that they did what was right in their own eyes. That's how they lived. But in the face of hopelessness, these people mentioned in Hebrews 11, they stayed faithful. Did you hear that? In the face of hopelessness, in the face of a world that is broken, that is lost, that is rebelling, they stayed faithful. And hear this, by faith they trusted God, and God gave them the strength to live in hope. In the face of ungodliness, they stayed faithful, and by faith, God gave them the strength to live in hope. Now, what was the hope they lived for? It was what was to come. They lived in the hope of a redeemer that was going to come, that was going to rescue his people. A redeemer that was going to come, that was going to bring salvation to the world. They lived in the hope of what was to come. And in fact, they lived their lives, if you go back, they lived their lives banking on the promise that God was going to keep his word. And I'm just telling you, that's how we need to live our lives. 
We need to live our lives living in hope. Now listen, we can look around the world around us, turn on the news, watch any broadcast. We live in a hopeless society. We live in a society that is broken, that is lost. There is so much hate in the world today that it is nauseating. We live in hopelessness. But in the face of that, we too must remain faithful. We too need to realize that we can live in hope. The hope of what, Doug? The hope that one day, listen, that one day Jesus is coming again. That one day when I leave this world, I will be with him forever. By faith, if we will trust God in the face of hopelessness, he will give us the strength to live in hope. Now, I want you to hear something, church. The reason that living in hope is so important, because when we live in hope of what's to come, we live a life filled of joy. We live a life filled full of passion, and we live life filled full of urgency. Why do we live a life filled full of joy if we live in hope? Because we know what's coming, right? We know that heaven is what awaits us. Why do we live a life of passion when we live in hope? Because we live in, the, in light of what Jesus has done for us, that why I deserve death, hell, and the grave, because he died on the cross, I have the hope of heaven. And that brings a passion to how I live. But it also brings an urgency. Why? Because I want other people to experience the eternity that I too will experience. So it's crucial for us, like these people, to live in hope, not despair. So when you think about, okay, Doug, what's the value of me putting my eyes on Jesus? Well, here's the value. You ready? It will produce a strength in us to face what's in front of us, to overcome those impossible obstacles, to move forward through those uncertain moments, and to live in hope rather than to live in despair. That's the beauty of this passage. Now I know for some of you you're saying, okay, Doug, I hear you, but it's kind of tough because it feels like the obstacles in front of me are kind of overwhelming. Or Doug, I hear you, but the truth of the matter is those things I'm faced with, I, I, can't, I can't move on. I mean, they are so burdensome, burdensome to me that I just don't feel like I can move forward through these things. Or Doug, hey, as I look at the world and I look at my life, all I feel like is that nothing really matters. It's all in vain. And I know some of you are struggling. I know as I talk through these things, you can identify. You say, yeah, man, there's those obstacles in my life. Yeah, Doug, there's those uncertain journeys that I've experienced. And right now it's a season of pain. And yeah, Doug, I want to live in hope. But man, I'm struggling. I look at the world and all I feel is despair. That's why it's important for us to remember this. Hear me. That we must keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because in doing that, we're reminded that God is bigger than our circumstances. We're reminded that God has a plan. And we are reminded that only by trusting him will he give us the strength to face what's in front of us. Did you hear that? Only when we trust him will he give us the strength to face what's in front of us. So this morning, <coughs> I have two questions for all of us. Here's the first thing. What are you facing? What are you facing this morning? Is there, <coughs> excuse me, is there this impossible obstacle that you're wrestling with? Something that you look at and it's so big and it's so overwhelming that you feel like, man, there's no way around it? Are you faced with a, with a journey right now, a season of pain that you're going through and you're hurting and you're wrestling and you're struggling and you feel like, <coughs> excuse me, there's no way forward? Or, <coughs> excuse me, 
or are you facing this sense of despair? It's hopelessness. So here's the question I want to ask. Once you figure out where you're at, what you're wrestling with, here's this question. Will you trust the Lord? Will you trust him? Will you trust him enough to allow him to give you the strength to overcome those obstacles? Will you trust him enough to allow you to give you the strength to move through those uncertain moments? Will you trust him enough to give you the strength to help you live in hope? Will you trust him? Because if you don't trust him, if you do nothing, if you absolutely do nothing, listen, you will stay in a place of despair. So will you trust him? Let's pray together. <coughs> Father God, I love you. I thank you for this moment. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray there's some really valuable things that we learned this morning, Lord. That we learned that if we truly keep our eyes on you, that you and only you will give us the strength to face what's in front of us. And Lord, I'm, I, I'm, I know that there's some people that have some really impossible obstacles in front of them. Impossible in their eyes, but not yours. And you can give them the strength to overcome them. I know there's some people that their journey has led to a season of pain and they're struggling and they feel like there's no way forward, Lord. I know that you can give them the strength to move through it and to move on. And then, God, I know there's people that just look at the world we live in and all they see is despair and anguish and hate. But you can give us the strength to live in hope and to be a beacon of light in a broken world. So, God, I pray for all of us that we would ask, which obstacle are we wrestling with and are we willing to trust you so that you can give us the strength to face whatever's in front of us? And, Lord, maybe there's somebody watching that what they need to trust you with more than anything is their life. They've never trusted you as Lord and Savior. But they've been burdened today that there's a God who loves them, a God who cares for them, a God who still rescues. And they want to surrender their life to Jesus, Lord. May they do that. Lord, may we be faithful to trust you in whatever area we're struggling so that you can give us the strength needed to face what's in front of us. God, be with us this morning. Speak to our hearts, for it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen and amen.